You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are diving into two killer couple films, Bride of Chucky and Natural Born Killers. That's right. We're talking about Mickey and Mallory. We're talking about Chucky and Tiffany. And I'm real excited. Oh, so overdue. I'm so pumped. Uh, if you are new to Nightmare on Film Street, welcome aboard. This is a super chill podcast. Uh, there's like, you know, no rules here. It's it's fun horror vibes. That's that's essentially the goal is we watch movie, we talk about it, we hang out, virtual space, um, proxy hangouts i don't know what else to describe other buzzwords (laughs) (laughs) other hangout proxy (laughs) you remember when you used to go to like the bar and hang out with your friends after the movie theater maybe you can do that where you are now because you're out of like legit lockdown side note we're coming out of lockdown soon i'm very excited i'm going to the drive-in this weekend canada's weird right now very pumped yeah, that's what our podcast is. It's just um, super casual chats. There's a lot of academic horror podcasts. There's a lot of really fun, informative horror podcasts. We are not one of them. We are not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've never seen Natural Born Killers or Bride of Chucky is the only child's play movie you've ever seen, this is the podcast for you. But then also, if you're casually obsessed about those movies, this is also a great podcast to revisit them. So uh, that's the whole game of Nightmare on Film Street. It's about enjoying horror movies and celebrating horror movies. And whether it's the first time or it's the hundredth time, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm so pumped. But Kim, before we get into it, these are only two movies that we've watched in the last, you know, week or two. What, what else has been keeping you creepy? Well, big news in terms of uh, the box office, horror is killing, horror is dominating. A Quiet Place 2 and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It are in theaters, drive-ins, where whatever's open where you are now, and they are bringing in money, and theaters are back. It's super exciting. Uh, they're not back in Canada yet, uh, at least Ontario. Uh, so we haven't seen A Quiet Place 2 yet. Nope, sure haven't. We, uh, we are seeing it this weekend, but we did get the chance to see uh, The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. I'm not huge on The Conjuring franchise. I appreciate them. I love something paranormal, a little bit spooky. Love a like multi-million dollar horror movie. <laughs> I also love 70s vibes, and the previous Conjurings like had a lot of that like 70s zoom, woody, farmhouse stuff, and really great music. So. Yeah, they, they go back to that a bit in this one what did you think of vera farmiga's outfits she was leaning so fully into her old lady hair in this she one sure was. it was like two years after the conjuring 2 is set i think like 78 to 81 or whatever three years you would swear she is a grandma oh by this she's point. gone full into grandma hair like legit i mean if you've ever seen any photos of lorraine warren she definitely had that old lady up to like a french twist with a poof uh that's that's hairstylist terms i was gonna uh, say gotta i gotta use my degree a little bit i'll have to defer to you on this one <laughs> it's not a degree it's a certificate <laughs> There was also some gore stuff in there. You did some practical effects. Yeah, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, there's been so many Conjuring spinoffs in the last few years that it's been so long since we've had a main 
through line of of the Warrens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was super refreshing. Like I, I, I'm not big on the story, but you know what? <laughs> I don't care. It was fun. Big budget horror. There was a lot of really fun ghostly stuff. The possessions are insane. Like windy as fuck. Oh, possessed yeah. as so fuck. So much attention put into the sound design of this movie, especially with those like weird tornado style possession <laughs> there sequences. There was a lot of tornadoing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I would rank it probably in the top half of The Conjuring films. I think all it really comes down to is I'd recommend it. <laughs> Check it out. It's good. It's got some it's got some fun scares. You know, it, obviously this is a bit of a departure. It's the first core Conjuring movie not directed by James Wan. Obviously he's on as a producer, but I think they keep the heart uh, of those movies in this new one. It's it's a little bit different. But you know, it's it's got the invest it's got the Warrens going on like an investigative journey like they're fucking detectives. Oh yeah. Spiritual like- detectives here to fucking like <laughs> bust them demons. Scooby Doo esque. Yeah. And I mean, other than that, big horror news, movies that you can watch right now at home, even if you don't have a drive-in open to you, on Shudder, uh, you can finally watch George A. Romero's lost film, The Amusement Park. This one's real weird. This one's actually supposed to be more of a PSA on elderly abuse. It's an hour long. Uh, you know, until 2018, I think it was just rumored to have existed because the Lutheran Society that had paid George A. Romero's production company to put this movie together didn't like it, didn't use it, and had just forgotten about it. Oh, and we watched it when they did the live stream premiere on Tuesday, and it's so good. It is a legitimate film i was expecting more of a psa element and it has that in the beginning and the end oh yeah there was like a welcome today you're going to learn this yada yada but it's full of allegories and stuff throughout and we're set in this amusement park but oh man it is cuts your heart though it is yeah it is depressing because obviously we're in the same situation like particularly after coming out of coronavirus all of the things that we've seen in terms of like elderly care and and senior centers and stuff like it's grim that this film can be so timely and it's a lost film i i, I read on twitter that i think george george a. romero was like in his early 30s when he made this oh yeah 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 because he wouldn't just sit around and wait for somebody to give him the money to make another zombie movie which he was not very interested in doing or the crazies you know like they created a production company and they would i'm 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 gl- a lot of this information from the panel discussion that that had taken place afterward on Shutter TV. Um, and and you know the idea was that you know he would do whatever. They would they, they you know they are largely responsible for a bunch of Mr. Rogers stuff. And that's just because they wanted to make movies. They wanted to film shit. And no matter what they were doing, they put 100% of their effort into it. And it really shows because... Yeah, this is a George A. Romero film. It's not a PSA. It is a film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we were talking about it a little bit, like, offline and on Discord with some of the fiends in the Fiend Club that, uh, you know... No matter what George A. Romero was doing, it, it was serving as some sort of warning. <laughs> like, the, he was, he, oh, man, what a truth say. <laughs> everything, everything is a parable, almost. Like, it, it's, yeah. it, or a fable, like a modern-day fable. Like, it's straight about this, but you can read so much into it. And I love that there's a level of ambiguity, too, because a lot of uh, the messages on The Beholder you yeah, yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of work for you to do to not decode but to to see the message like it could just be watched as a zombie film you know what i mean in in typical romero fashion but there's so much at the core of everything which i love yeah that movie made me that movie made me real real sad 
real sad. Oh, just super depressing. If yeah, if, if you're totally unfamiliar with it, basically it's it's an old guy who's going into a amusement park. The amusement park is an allegory for the real world, and at every opportunity. At every ride, there's some sort of barrier that these elderly people have to overcome, and then at some point also get screwed over, like in really depressing, true to life ways. You know, it's a little, it's a little rough. It's a little indie. Um, you know, obviously the prints that they had were not in incredible quality, uh, but you know, if that if those are like roadblocks that are that are gonna you know stop you from being able to enjoy it, it is only an hour long. I, you know, like you don't have to commit a lot of time to it, and uh, I think it's totally worth checking out. It's very surprising that uh, that this has gone sort of undiscovered until now. And also, it was very fun to learn that George A. Romero had watched it something like two weeks before he died. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Ugh, I don't. I can't. All right, let's 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 talk about something a little more interesting. What's what's gonna be keeping you creepy between now and the next episode of Nightmare on Film Street, Kim? Yeah, just a heads up on the Fiend Club events we've got going on. We have a super fun watch party happening this weekend. This Sunday, we are having a daytime marathon, you know, for our UK fiends, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? We're going to watch some episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, the Canadian 90s classic, super pumped. We're going to watch, I don't know what episodes, we haven't picked them out yet. I haven't picked them out either. But uh, we're going to have a good variety and make sure that we have, you know, some of those those star-studded cameos of uh, early career Canadians uh, making their their cinema debuts. Yeah, we're we're currently uh, scheduled to go from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I think we're probably going to end up watching five or six episodes. We may go past that two o'clock spot, but I'm also going to be, I'm really throwing in some like early 90s nostalgic TV commercials. I'm so, those are my favorite. I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to be able to find some stuff from YTV, which I don't think anybody outside of Canada knows about, but that was like, uh, like a kid's version of MTV with cartoons. I think Are You Afraid of the Dark is a YTV show too oh no it is yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so YTV original. <laughs> that'll be so much fun so if you want to join that it is over at the fiend club it's a fiend club exclusive watch party uh hit us up at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club to be part of the fiend club you just got to support us with a few dollars a month to have access to that watch party there's another one happening uh the saturday before father's day mm-hmm. June 19th, we are going to watch two Father's Day frights. We haven't picked them yet. No, but we are going to be watching two bad dad movies. Oh, absolutely. So, um, one, join us if you can join us. That's fr- that's Saturday evening, the, the night before Father's Day, just in case you're spending time with your fathers or your kids, you know. Yep. And if you have any recommendations for Father's Day movies that are streaming online, Amazon Prime, Netflix, uh, Shudder, the like, uh, let us know in the Discord channel. Maybe we'll watch them. Yeah. Uh, nofspodcast.com slash Discord. And the Fiend Club, where the watch parties are, is nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. All right. Let's get into it. Let's talk about some killer couples. Woo! K- kicking it off, we're talking about Chucky and Tiffany in Bride of Chucky. But this time, there's more to fear. Because this time, he's got a playmate of his own. Bride of Chucky. 
Chucky gets lucky. Barbie, eat your heart out. Bride of Chucky from 1998 is currently sitting at a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb. 49% on Rotten Tomatoes, 48% on Metacritic, and 2.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Also is sort of a reboot for the franchise, which is crazy because it's only been, like at the time when this movie came out, 10 years since the first one. That's kind of crazy. It's the same. It's almost the same for the Nightmare on Elm Street series as well, though. It's just, in my mind, I'm, I guess, a child when Bride of Chucky comes out, and Chucky has just existed forever. Like, all the child's play movies. Yeah, so this is the fourth film, right? Yep, fourth. Yeah. Yep. So, for me, I think, in terms of my awareness of Chucky, I think Bride of Chucky is my first. That's not a surprise. I had this memory of, I guess, my parents rented it, or they were watching it on TV, and I, I guess I came in at the scene in the like love motel with oh, the, the honeymoon like, suite with the saucy couple, yeah. and I was like ushered out of the room, <laughs> and I was like, I need to watch horror movies. Mirrors on the ceiling. We gotta get the child out of here. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> did you see the whole scene? Like, did you I, see like the I, bottle I breaking? See, like, and everything? it's just like um, I have like an an image memory of the like waterbed and the weird mirror and the weird couple, and I was like, honeymoons are scary. <laughs> 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 I never want one. <laughs> so you didn't even get to see a doll. No, I didn't get. Uh, well, I, I probably got the doll vibe. So and also the music, killer too, doll. Yeah. Honeymoons are scary. That's that was my uh, my takeaway from that, and that was my introduction into the the entire Chucky franchise. Like that was my my awareness of the killer doll movies. I'm like, oh, the weird honeymoon movie, yeah. The weird honeymoon franchise <laughs> of films. <laughs> That's pretty cool. This was in terms of firsts for me. I think within an afternoon, either the first or second movie that I watched illegally. Now it wasn't even it wasn't even the whole movie either of these movies. We um, a friend of mine during lunch went over to his like apartment. Uh, we were elementary school at the time, and he was introducing me to this this newfangled. Well, thing. at least it was illegal by proxy, and it was you're not admitting to to, <laughs> to a crime on the podcast. No, this was yeah. We were I don't know how like ten years old at this point, and 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 internet piracy was the hot new thing. Yeah. So yeah, tell your story, and then I have my my internet piracy story. <laughs> it's not even that fun. It's just like, it, you know, like during the lunch break, I watched the opening sequence of Charlie's Angels in just like a terrible pixelated quality. Oh, yeah. And then also the opening sequence of Bride of Chucky. That's pretty sweet. Illegally. Oh, I actually so have dangerous. like the same story. So my one of my friends, I'd say grade six, grade seven is probably the same time. She lived really close to the school, like, so close that we could watch half a movie right on. during lunch. And I guess her parents had this hookup. They had this binder of like sketchy DVDs that like, just <laughs> had the name of the movie oh, written the binder. In, in Sharpie. And they were like movies that were still in the theater or had just come to theaters. How like, did they do Holy it? Holy moly. And only half of them worked. So like you'd watch the first 10 minutes of a movie that was in theaters right now and then it would just glitch out. Yeah. And you're like, well... Okay. Or you'd see someone walk toward the camera. <laughs> it would just disappear. Like, a how will them, we know what, how Austin Powers 2 ended? A lot of them were theater copies, but I remember being like the cool kid in school and being like, I can tell you the first 10 minutes of this movie we're not allowed to see in theaters. Yeah. And that is all. That is exactly how I felt when I watched the opening of Bride of Chucky for the first time. 
It's kind of cool because I'm going to I'm going to fully admit here that I'm not a Chucky expert. I can say that I've seen We're not experts on anything. Such a random smattering of the Chucky films. I remember we watched them all in sequence one like New Year's Day hungover. Sure did. And so therefore we've never seen them in sequence. Uh that that does not count. That was a weird day. It was a weird day. It was very long. <laughs> we played board games, we ate nacho dip and we had headaches. <laughs> We watched all the Chucky movies. So the ones I'm most familiar with are, oddly, one and two. Sorry, that's not odd. No, odd I was going to say what's odd about uh, this. The newer ones. So the ones with- uh, Like Cult of Chucky and Curse of Chucky? Yeah, the one with Fiona Dorif, Brad Dorif's daughter. Hell yeah. Um, just mainly because streaming accessibility, yep. and, and they're all new, and we have a horror outlet now, so I've seen them a bunch. Yeah. There's a big fog in the middle, which is crazy because aesthetically, Bride of Chucky, totally my bag. Yeah. And I this is the first time I visited it since my childhood. Really? Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, maybe it's not maybe it's just the first time that you've paid attention to it. They play it on AMC every October. Like it is on all day. It's like they play the like they usually go like franchise by franchise. Like leading up to Halloween, you have like a run up where like this It's week all Halloween play. 6, John. Don't lie. They play a lot of Halloween 6. You get a lot of <laughs> Cult of Thorn in there. But you also get a bunch of like the 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 Chuck the, the Chucky movies, not the child's play movies. Which is what's really interesting about The Bride of Chucky for me is that it is like a real big reboot, not just that uh, the, the name changes, but that stylistically it completely goes off in a different direction. It becomes its own animal. Ronnie Yu directed this movie. He's also the director of Freddy vs. Jason. Big ups. Woo woo. Uh, <laughs> gang gang. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the beginning of Don Mancini taking over the franchise. He wrote the original Child's Play with, you know, 100,000 revisions before it got to where it was. But he, I think, if I remember correctly, was on set for a lot of Bride of Chucky because he wanted to learn directing. And that was the goal, that he would then take over the Chucky movies, which he's done because then we have Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, Cult of Chucky. And it's just, and now he's doing the Chucky TV series, right? Chucky TV. Chucky TV. TV of Chucky. Prime time, Chuck. <laughs> But but Bride of Chucky really sort of acts as like the Rosetta Stone for the rest of the franchise, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's completely different from the Child's Play movies, and and it's it's been a it, oh man, like you, listening to you talk about revisiting for the first time since childhood. I feel like this is the first time I've revisited it since childhood. Damn, this movie rocks. Honestly, though, I think you're you're giving a lot of credit to it being like a time capsule of a of, a, of an era we're very nostalgic for. Because did this Maybe. not come out in like 1998? Like, sure there's did. that like new metal soundtrack where oh, the soundtrack <laughs> is so good when back it's when, not bad. Back when uh, horror movies, every three minute, three point six minutes yeah. was a Rob Zombie song. Fuck yeah, it was. <laughs> and then when it wasn't, it was a white zombie song. We even have a the Burger Pyre Joint Man. is rocking. Yes, the Burger Joint has Power Man 5000, which if you're unaware. Where is Rob Zombie's brother? This is what it's like when worlds collide. Rob guys. Zombie has a brother. Yeah, and he's got a band. Is his last name Zombie? No, I don't. I don't know what his real last name is. He changed his name. I know, but I... it's like Robert Dorfman or something. I have no idea. <laughs> they should have made a handshake deal. <laughs> oh, they both become zombie. If we if we get famous, we're the zombie clan. Maybe he did. So you're saying I have rose-colored glasses for this movie is what you're saying? Absolutely. Ooh. Which isn't wrong, because like I'm totally like, woo, how trailer, many, how many bathtub. Movie, right? <laughs> how does she have a clawfoot tub in an airstream? Oh, it's great. It's such a good sequence. But I, 30% of her trailer is designated to bathroom for that tub, and I agree. 
Yeah, I also don't believe that it wasn't just Jennifer Tilly's trailer already. Like, they just shot inside of I her know. already decorated trailer. <laughs> this looks like, or there's just a duplicate trailer that is hers that looks exactly the same that they didn't shoot it. In regards to the rose-colored glasses thing, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going polite, to politely I'm not saying disagree. that's the sole reason. I will agree that, that this one is a lot more meta than the previous Chucky's. And a lot of the fun, I think, comes from the fact that they've ditched the we're hunting down Andy. Yeah. It's really, Fuck that kid. It's really hard. And Chucky's one of the smarmiest serial killers. He's super fun and, and always a, a hilarious time. But apart from Freddy, well, even Freddy, though, it's teenagers, so it's a little bit easier. Andy is like a kid. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to possess your body. It's hard to be like meta and silly and camp to the extreme with that because it's inherently very dark. And then this one, we're like, fuck Andy, which I think was a good move. Andy is traumatized at this point. He's got no family left. Yeah. <laughs> Andy has well, I mean, been tapped. We, we see him come back in Cult of Chucky. He's fucked. Like, this has ruined his life. Uh, but what's we'll, the pl- what's the plot of ch- uh, cult? Oh, cult of Chucky's got like two two plots going on where we've got we've got Andy who's got, got the head of Chucky now, and it's like the only friend he has in the world. Like he can't oh. even get a date, Aww. but he just comes home. He smokes weed. He tortures this doll head, and then simultaneously we've got Fiona Dorf who's in a, a completely different timeline story with Chucky. How do I not she's remember now, this? I was just talking about this movie. She's now in a mental institution because See, they that think, plot I remember yeah. with all the weird Chucky dolls and the. And there's the, the the woman that's obsessed with the Chucky doll, and it's coming to all the group therapy sessions. And Jennifer Tilly playing Jennifer Tilly. And Jennifer Tilly is there. <laughs> she saves this. Is that what it is? It's just that we needed a Jennifer Tilly. Like we we always had Brad Dorif, and he's always given a hundred and ten percent in every single one of these fucking movies. The only person maybe working harder than him is Warwick Davis from the Leprechaun franchise. He's great every time he shows up, but Brad Dorif never misses in any of these movies. He's always the best. But he need he needed Jennifer Tilly. I think is what it is. Like that really like changes the franchise, right? I think it kind of this is so weird. I think it humanizes him a bit, <laughs> in and that before Chucky was the sole kind of uh, central line antagonist. Whereas you find out in Bride with the the lover story and the the sheriff uncle, he's kind of the key antagonist and the situation too is that this couple is trying to elope and get away and. Tiffany is very kind of on board with that. Like she's totally, at least for the first half, kind of proxy protecting this couple because she believes in love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she kind of softens Chucky in a way that's relatable to the audience because there's the the back and forth banter and Chucky gets very distracted by Tiffany. The entire sequence that gets Tiffany from being Jennifer Tilly to the bride doll is such a distraction. This movie wouldn't have happened if he didn't turn Tiffany into the doll because Tiffany could have driven them to the fucking cemetery. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. And he he murders her in the bathtub. Amazing sequence. Oh my God. Fantastic. She's watching we will, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, we, will, we will Bride of Frankenstein in a moment. But then instead of just like murdering her because he's a serial killer and she's kept him in a, in a baby prison. Yeah. He turns her into the doll to give her a taste of her own medicine. And- also, because I think he doesn't want, actually want to get rid of her. I think you're 100% he right. He makes her, like, stuck with him. Like, this yeah. was his proposal. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, yeah, how else is a serial killer supposed to propose, right? The only language he knows is violence. And I so love that there's, like, a woman for everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is that, so he's given her a taste of her own medicine in terms of being in prison, but she's doing the, the exact same to him because she's been burning this candle for him for, like, 30 years. 10 years. I guess it's been 10 years. <laughs> I guess it's only been 10 years since he died. Uh, anyway, she's been waiting for him. She's been in love with him still. She's been trying to get him back. She knows he's a fucking doll. I don't think she's got any plans of, like, making him a human man again until he tells her that that's a possibility. Mm. So when he turns on her and he's just cold and cruel, it really hurts her. Like, it hurts her. It breaks her fucking oh, heart. Oh, she has a full cry. <laughs> yeah, she murders Next to the corpse of her ex-boyfriend, Damien. That's so Only great. ex because he's dead. That fucking shot is amazing when she's, like, in the bed. All, oh, man, there are so many great overhead shots in this movie, which is a, like, a weird thing to point out. All of the shots in the trailer are fantastic. Trailers are fucking small. Oh, you mean the Airstream. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so they, they, oh, sorry, not the trailer as in the promo, as in the, yeah. I only brought it up because- The trailer in which Tiffany lives. You said it earlier, like, yeah, I love a trailer. I'm like, yeah, I guess those songs would cut together in a good trailer, yeah. Side note, the budget of this film was 25 fucking million dollars. And every dollar of it went on yeah, the screen. I just think it's insane. <laughs> so in terms of the great shots of the tra- of the Airstream trailer, oh, yeah. uh, they probably had like half trailers and all kinds of shit to get these amazing shots. There's some really great fucking sequences in that trailer, like high angles and low angles, especially that one where Chucky is stalking to the bathroom to murder her and he's dragging the, yeah. the pre-Tiffany bride doll. So good. And his face even in the shower curtain. Like, oh, it's amazing. That Yeah, the, the entire sequence in the trailer, it makes me very sad that this isn't like a mumblecore version, a mumblegore version of, of a child's play movie where we're, we're only in that trailer because it's so fucking cool. As much as I love Chucky and Tiffany doll hijinks, I would be fine if Tiffany was regular Tiffany in her trailer the whole movie, and we just stayed there. Nothing happens, just Tiffany being Tiffany, because I love her so much. She's so cool. She's the fucking best. She's like a femme fatale that's got, like, she's dark and she's really into murder. I don't know if she's necessarily into being a murderer, but into murder. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting question, right? She seems to enjoy killing once she's been killed, but... Mm. But up, up until then, it's like the sexual thrill. Uh, yeah, I assume because she kills the security guard when she rescues Chucky from the police locker, the yeah. super meta police locker. Now, wh- well, does she actually enjoy killing or is it just that she enjoy- She wants a man that will do anything for her, including, like up to and including killing people brutally? Is that all it is? Yeah, I think she's just into serial killers. I think that's just okay. Her let's believe we'll it. Not that. necessarily like that's a kink, but I think that's her type. Okay. Her type is serial killers. Got it. Yes. But she's so great regardless because there's so many fun quirks to her character. Like she's this femme fatale who's super into serial killers as a type, not a kink. Yes. But she's oddly like domestic and adorable. Oh, yeah. Like she she watches Martha Stewart and she's like oddly chaste. Like she's not sleeping <laughs> with her weird, creepy goth boyfriend Damien because she's not in love with him. Well, yeah, the, right? She says that. She's like, I'd kill anybody, but I'll only love like one person. And it's like that's adorable. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> she's great. And she's got but Chucky such- But is not good enough for you. Incredible fashion sense, is. right? I think I just love the image of her wearing- Like, she never gets rid of the wedding dress. She, like, she could- 
Like, in the amount of time that it took her to get ready, she could have fashioned new clothes. Um, she has tiny little boots and a tiny leather jacket. I'm sure she has tiny little hot pants. Yeah, she's got it. But her. it's the bride look. She's it's, the bride. Oh, it's so fucking good. It is great. And she bleaches that doll's hair to perfection. <laughs> now, like, like any relationship, as we'll see with the human counterpart of this movie, the, the, you know, the, the, the bond between them is really tested on a, on a road trip. Like, isn't that, <laughs> that's the first thing you gotta do if you've been in a long-term relationship is go on a road trip and, you know, if you make it out afterward, that's great. The two of you will be fine. If not, you could just crash and burn. That could be the end of the two of you. Let's call it a road trip and more call it a spree. <laughs> yeah. As in spree killing. <laughs> Chucky explains that the amulet that is like a, a holdover from the Chucky other explains the plot. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> believe it or not, there's some plot. Uh, <laughs> he's buried with the amulet that he needs in order for them to transfer into human bodies. So uh, he gets Tiff to call her neighbor, um, Jesse who's going to drive out to New Jersey with his girlfriend, Catherine Heigl. Uh, I think her <laughs> actual name is Jade. Um, and the two of them, with $1,000, are going to start a new life together, which is cool. Whatever. They need it. I think they're like 17, though. Yeah, I think she's graduating high school because He's she started this film her. with a corsage. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of like, you know, when you're 18, you can go to hell for all I care. <laughs> but while you're under my roof, I'm going to ruin your life. There's a lot of that. So they're on a road trip to to deliver the dolls is the idea. Uh, he thinks he's talking to regular human Tiffany. It's actually doll Tiffany. They're going to pick up the dolls, drive out, and deliver them to her friend at a cemetery in Hackensack, New Jersey. <laughs> That's the plan. Uh, and, uh, and of course, there is a they, they leave a wake of destruction behind them, which the, the news media and their friends thinks uh, is the two of them, one of the two of them. They never say murderous couple. They say one of them's definitely a killer and the other one's either kidnapped or doesn't know about it, <laughs> which is hysterical. Uh, I love that assumption. I kind of love that they start to suspect each other, too, which is wonderful. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, the probability, though, at some point you have to agree that like, OK, so people are dying at this hotel we randomly stopped at. Like, Everywhere we stop, people die. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter for how long we're there or whether we got pulled over by the police. Everyone dies. Part of the fun in this, though, and this comes back to the addition of Tiffany, is that she kind of eggs Chucky on to be more creative. Yeah. And she's there's that meta aspect that, like, okay, this is the 90s. Like, the knife is tired. The knife is done. Sure. And uh, Scream has come out. <laughs> the scream has taken the knife. Yes. So he has to get creative with his kills, which comes down to, like, the glass shards and, and the nail. Well, here, the, the nail thing. to the head. Does, does he get creative? Because I think it's all her. She's the one, I think, who lines up the nails. Because even he's impressed by it. He goes, wow, real good. He cuts okay. the wire that true, explodes true, true. the air conditioner. True, but, but he's thinking creatively now. So, okay. like, she has bettered him as a man. Because she's also the one that should... <laughs> <laughs> She's also the one that throws the champagne into the mirror that kills that couple. And in like he's so such impressed. A right? And that they have their own little honeymoon with dead bodies everywhere. It's kind of weird. It's kind of great, though. What kind of The motel? whole time, though, people were like, these dolls are going to fuck, right? These oh, dolls, they're going to, yeah. And they fuck. And they do. Uh, what kind of fucking mo roadside motel in, in, in Niagara Falls where you can get married at the motel has a honeymoon suite with a fireplace in it. Do they get married at the motel? Because I see them. I saw them stop at a church. I just don't think there was an establishing shot for the motel. 
I think it's the two separate locations. Okay, but, but it's probably owned by the same person. Well, it's maybe. like the guy who the guy who's like, "All right, you kiss the bride," would like walk them into another room and check them into another room, guaranteed. That just sounds like something you could do at at night. I'm sure you could. Yeah, and I'm sure that's a thing. We should lie and say that we're eloping. Like we should we we should just I don't do want to stay. So like I kind of, so I have this weird conflicting I want to stay in one of those motels for the decor. Yeah. But also they kind of yick me out. Oh, sure. So, I would really like to, but also never. Okay. So we find the cheapest looking one that has like a like a heart-shaped bed. May we bring heart-shaped our own jacuzzi. <laughs> no, I'm saying we show up, we take an Instagram photo, we go back to the RV. <laughs> like that's Actually, side note, when we were filming the short a month or so ago, we were looking for like Airbnbs of this like we needed a kind of a starter home, very simple, very plain, and we found this perfect house and it was it was only like 40 minutes from here and it was kind of everything we needed except the main bedroom of the house was like a kink room. Oh yeah, like rotating bed, mirrors everywhere. There was a stripper, stripper pole, <laughs> and like you don't assume that the time, like a, a adult getaway. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no it, big it's deal. like a like, cottage. Yeah, it was like, like they in don't a want kids. Yeah, in a small want... town. Yeah, there was a basketball court on the property in the shit. middle of nowhere. Yeah, and you then could, like for a bachelor party or a fuck party. Like yeah, like it was for <laughs> any kind of party. It was really. It was almost like okay, well, we could rent it, but if we're gonna rent this place, like we have to use the room in the short <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't work out. Is what it comes down to. <laughs> so we... we didn't rent that house. No. Should have. <laughs> the only thing I think we haven't talked about in, in regards to this, and especially like as a movie with killer dolls in it, is how fucking good the killer dolls look. They look amazing. Facial expressions, especially, like they oh, do. Yeah. They do a really great job of uh, of emoting the dolls. And I have to say, the bride of Chucky, Chucky, is maybe my favorite Chucky. Well, they, they, I think it's the same Chucky, more or less, the rest of the franchise, like he's, onward. He's the bride of Chucky, Chucky. Yeah, he's got that fucked up eyeball where oh, you can like see into his skull a little bit. The alternate doll parts that she stitched on yeah. him to like cover his like blown up wounds. His hair that's hair. been stapled yes. on. Yeah. <laughs> the three stapled chunks of hair. It's perfect. So good. I mean, like, it's, sure, it's nice and all to have like a fresh Chucky every movie, but like, I like that he's grizzled. Like, he's essentially Leatherface the doll. Yeah, he's bad boy Chucky in this. <laughs> oh, yeah, and <laughs> Tiffany needs a bad boy. <laughs> yeah, like he, this is the Chucky that rides a mini Harley, and, and Tiffany's so into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. there. You know, in the original Child's Play, there are plenty of scenes where we can see that a Chucky doll is, like, strapped to a kid, and we've got some voiceover where Brad Dorov's telling <laughs> him what to do, but it's it's de- it's definitely just, like, a backpack the kid is wearing. It doesn't matter. And in this, we have, like, fully animatronic dolls yeah i mean there's a lot of clever cuts like a lot of them are like half waist shots so you can tell somebody's like puppeting them and then when we do the wide overheads they definitely have uh like little people acting out as the dolls there are a few shots there are some inconsistencies with doll size and there's one moment that's really great when chucky is in the uh the playpen that he's trapped in and it's a full-out dude's hand it's a full hand (laughs) also there's a moment where he's like putting a knife into his pocket that is like yeah that's an actual hand (laughs) that is a dude's hand. hand They look so good. Like they've like their facial expressions. They've never been able to emote more. And like that is again proof in Tiffany because like she is cool. She is she's a fucking killer. She has a much larger range of emotions than Chucky, which I think was probably a huge leap for them in terms of animating the dolls because yeah. she has like a full emotional range. Whereas Chucky just has to like furrow his brow and look mischievous and laugh. Yeah. She's got emotions. Yeah, and and can express those emotions despite being burnt to a crisp is mm. the 
mm. is the other thing, right? So sad. Do you fucking love? I guess I love too. I love <laughs> that the that sort of metaphor or idea that like, oh, if a woman slaves all day on a hot stove, the most a man can do is the dishes. It was a great setup though for oh, yeah. their like their relationship tiff in the in the middle of their relationship problems in the middle when they're when they're in that R V. Can't say Tiff, huh? I can't say Tiff, it doesn't work. <laughs> Sounds like I'm just cash talking about the doll. But well, like the boyfriend learns from it uh, because she's she's hitting on him like when she sort of explains that sentiment. And then the, the next time that he sees Catherine Heigl, he's like, you know, if you were I just want to be the kind of guy who like if you, you know, were slaving all day in the kitchen, I would do the dishes. And and later on when they're in the RV, which they, we don't even get to see them kill that old couple. That would have been fun and cruel. <laughs> um, uh, she has made sweet as a doll on the road has made Swedish meatballs and baked cookies and baked chocolate chip cookies but uh, but uh, boyfriend Jesse's smart enough to sort of like elbow Chucky into saying something about the dishes and it throws her off the fucking edge <laughs> uh, of course she winds up in the oven which is super sad but in the graveyard she's burnt to a crisp Chucky's all like bloodied up they've both got like, each other's women hostage and there's there's a bit of an ex- like a hostage exchange like like they're on like a like a bridge of spies scenario where they're crossing each other and like sh- Tiffany's just like so sad because she can see like there's actual love between them that she maybe doesn't have with Chucky. Mm. It's good stuff, but it's it's where they really come back to justifying why it's a bride of movie, right? Yes, exactly, and that's kind of why Tiffany turns at the end because for Tiffany, yes, murder is cool, murder is great, but love is her driving force yeah and and that's what's so sad about chucky is because like chucky's first love is murder it's not (laughs) tiffany my first love is murder (laughs) yeah that's a really good point yeah like the priorities are just like they're a little flipped for either of them it's like murder and love love yeah chucky love i think chucky loves tiffany in his way but like nothing's gonna get in the way of murder yeah like he like the second that tiffany gets in the way of murder he tries to murder tiffany that's so true he'll do anything for murder and she'll do anything for Chucky. Wow, what a oh, what a, star-crossed lovers, right? Mm. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the the best moment in the in the entire film is when uh, when Tiffany utters the line like "We belong dead," yeah. and you're just like, "Bring it back to Frankenstein, Tiff." <laughs> <laughs> and she's bawling in the tub oh. when she's watching that, and that like that's how she dies too. And like we can see like Bride of Frankenstein fucking screaming under the under the bubbles. That is and a shit. wonderful shot. Man, what a good, good movie. <laughs> and it's probably, so we, you know, we, we talk about the fact that the dolls fuck, which sets up a perfect, perfect cliffhanger for the end of this movie. Because first comes love, then comes marriage, and then we got a fucking demon baby and the baby carriage. You didn't like it? Uh, I love I love a dumb cliffhanger. I, think it's a, I, I love a dumb cliffhanger because yeah. they don't belong in movies. That's a TV move. <laughs> yeah, I'm just worried about that baby because like dad's dead in a quote quote dad's out of the picture dad's dead in a, in a coffin with his full human corpse tiffany's not looking good and like who's gonna take care of this little evil baby oh glenn he's gonna have baby to take care with of himself the do- like with, with the rubber face <laughs> <laughs> and so the sharp evil. little fang fangs yeah i mean he knows how to he knows how to murder right away <laughs> and it's like like less than less than 10 minutes old already killing cops dad be so proud <laughs> dad would be so proud oh so kim What's your rating of Bride of Chucky? 
Uh, so this is definitely one of my favorite of the franchise, if oh, not yeah. the favorite of the franchise. I, 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 I like I can't definitively say that because I'd have to revisit them all. Because the second one is really good. Second one's so good. Uh, and the first one is really good. First one's okay. fun. Uh, three and a half out of four. Three and a half out of four. Yeah, no, I really fucking like it. Oh, I'm giving this a four out of four. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought yeah. you were like, shit, that is high. Slow your roll, girl. <laughs> no, this movie's incredible. And yeah, sure, maybe maybe that's a .5 bump for rose-colored glasses. I don't I don't know. Like, whatever. I just love it. Like, I don't I don't see anything about this movie that I would change. The only thing I would change uh-huh. is I would bump up the soundtrack a little bit What do you mean bump more. it up? Volume and quantity. <laughs> maybe, that was the, maybe that was the problem of our television. Like, more. There were a thousand songs in this movie. Saturate How can you me. get more? <laughs> Saturate me. You want a nine? You want one of those ninety-minute music videos where it's like in the nineties, every horror movie had a music video tie-in. Oh yes. And if you, you know, if you were unlucky enough to be Scream Three, it was Creed. Uh, but it's it's basically just scenes from the movie, and then occasionally you cut to a band. But you're pretty much just like watching. And then a the band reel. has like projectors of the movie around. Them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or you know like they cleverly cut it so like the killer sees the band and is like aware of the band. <laughs> I'll get you next. Yeah. Oh, man. I love it when a music video ended with a band getting killed. That happened so often in the 90s. It was great. More soundtrack. Wow. That's a lot of soundtrack. Or just louder. This is on you, John. Louder next time. I can do that. I can definitely do that. My old man ears are going to get hurt, though. <laughs> I have started turning things down. <laughs> I'm like, this is a little loud. Why do they make the gun sound so much louder than the talking? <laughs> I hate doing that. It's my least I can't wait till we, we're able to go to movie theaters again and you, you get back into, like, complaining, John. Like, oh. these trailers are too loud. The movie's definitely going to be too loud. <laughs> it's been a while. It's going to happen, though, I guarantee it. <laughs> Those are always my favorite. Moving on, we're going to talk about another killer couple on a road trip of a lifetime. We're talking about Mickey and Mallory in Natural Born Killers. Platoon. Wall Street. Born on the 4th of July. JFK. Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now, he takes a look at where we are and where we're going. And you'll be shocked at what he sees. Natural Born Killers from 1994 is currently sitting at a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. 
48% on Rotten Tomatoes, 74% on Metacritic, and 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. This is another film that was a bit of a blind spot for me. It's the type of movie I should have been really into, I think, in high school. Like, these were the type of films I was exploring. For some reason, this one never stood out to me, I guess. It doesn't have a high rewatchability. Like you couldn't you couldn't watch this every Saturday, you know what I'm saying? Unless yeah, you were me. Yeah, like I don't know, the I was always aware of like the Mickey and Mallory duo. Like they they're kind of like a pop culture duo that I was aware of, but yeah. the film itself like never rose to the like the full out cult status. I think it was really really gunning for. I I would ag- I would say that this is definitely a cult film, but I don't know. Maybe that's just my own perception of it. I, I, yeah, because I, I think I've only seen this twice. Okay, I have seen this movie countless times. Like I, I owned a two disc special Whoa. edition. I've, I've listened to every commentary that was available, and I've watched every featurette. Now is this high school, John? That this was like grade seven, grade eight, but it bled into, it bled into high school. Okay. This is around that time where I was like- Was this like you were going back through the Quentin Tarantino archives? You're like, I need to see everything <laughs> he blinked at. No, I-, I You I, say no, <laughs> but- I came on this without the knowledge of the Quentin Tarantino thing. It was after I- you know, as a teenager, like all male teenagers, because I feel obsessed like, with yeah, Quentin like Tarantino. they, like boys everywhere saw Pulp Fiction and their eyes just dilated, and they yeah. haven't gone down since. <laughs> yeah, man, I wish I could have been or in not the even, room. Is, not when, is it not Pulp Fiction? What's the one with all the guys that sh- Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, and you know what? Reservoir Dogs is one of the ones that like holds up the least, but it's a great first film. We're talking about a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was after like the 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 Quentin Tarantino obsession that I realized that he wrote the original screenplay that this is based on. He still has a story credit. I'm pretty sure I've read that screenplay. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't remember anything about it though. Like I I've read it in grade eight or grade nine. Yeah, I tried to like wiki figure out the like you know five minutes before the show read up because I I knew. So I knew more about the fact that Quentin Tarantino was paid like $10,000 for the script and then they completely rewrote it. Yeah. That was my like headcanon. Sure. Um, still correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't know what directly the original story was. I think, I think the film was more centric on an already married couple who decide to go on a spree. I don't know how much of the, the media... Um, was involved. There's kind of a cutting moral message, I would say, about the relationship to media and crime, yeah. which I love about this film, but I don't know if that was the original intention of the of the first screenplay. Somebody out there listening to this knows everything and is shaking their head at us. Uh, so I will say, though, that Quentin Tarantino, went, especially because he, he always deals with crime and criminals, he's more interested in the criminals themselves as characters yeah. and less about their global impact or their impact on society. Like, so He's more of a character-driven uh, writer. My recollection is that the screenplay played out more in the media. It's like it was it was it was more like like, you know, nothing. This movie doesn't already do it, but like really painting them uh, in the same positive light that, say, bank robbers were in the 30s, mm-hmm. you know, like your your Bonnie and Clyde's and whatnot. Um, how they were sort of darlings in the media and captured everybody's attention. And suddenly the fact that they were vicious killers was just like, oh, whatever, no big deal. Um, 
I think maybe this movie leans more into sort of the Manson and media version rather than the sort of like babyface Nelson and media version. Um, so like serial killers rather than bank robbers. Not that they were bank robbing in the original screenplay, but that's my memory of it is that it dealt a lot with like how the public was receiving them. That's interesting. Yeah, because you're right. Like that's that doesn't sound like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. But this is also it's either this screenplay or True Romance was the first screenplay he sold. Period. So like you know, still figuring himself out as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I yeah, I've seen this movie a lot, like a lot, a lot. And the the funny thing is like. There was there was a period where like you could look at the world as a simulation or just like all roads pointed to natural born killers for me because like I didn't own the soundtrack for this movie but I did own all of the albums that had the songs in this so movie. So you could make your own natural born killers playlist. I could have made my own mixtape, yeah. <laughs> like I had the Leonard Cohen album that the future came from. I had the L7 record that that had shit list on it which I got to say is featured in this movie like four fucking times. Man, it kicks ass every time. Do you remember that song? It was in Pet Cemetery 2. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's, I'm just, it's I'm right just... in the beginning of the movie. Fucking Juliet Lewis is beating the shit out of a guy, and she's like, you're on my shit list. You don't remember this? No. Damn, this movie is in my the bones. The music like <laughs> blew past my face. <laughs> There's so much music in this movie. I was movie. letting you nerd out on your platform for a little minute or two, and then I was going <laughs> to shut it down hard. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, no, there's a lot of music in this I'm, movie. It kicks ass. You know, I'm really happy to hear, one, I knew nothing about your natural born killer's obsession yeah uh, <laughs> so that was a reveal but it's great because i'm gonna field to you your yeah. thoughts on most of this movie okay so kicking it off i want to talk about the fact that the format of this film like the editing this how it served to you the audience is um, meta media, like it's um, using a whole bunch of different focal lengths and like color palettes, and and you're getting black and white, and you're getting sitcom TV, and you're getting projector screens and some really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. My comment here, and my maybe my question: the media glorifying violence and crime and la 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 is kind of an over an overarching theme in this. But I don't think it really comes in until after our killers have gone on on the spree. But we get like that sitcom moment and we're doing all these camera changes beforehand. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe an argument I'm bringing to you and I want you to counterpoint me because you're sure. such a fan of the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're not really TV fans. So it doesn't really make sense for me, the format of the movie. Like I, I almost kind of wish the movie was more normal and then switched when they became glorified or beloved or like like mm. misrepresented in the media and when we start seeing those interviews of those kids that were like in love with them and stuff yeah because though the sitcom backstory is like really cool and I'm going to come back to that cuz that's the most like stylized moment of the film sure it's kind of out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And then this becomes less of like a, a meta thematic commentary than it just becomes like an acid trip. This is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas with Quentin Tarantino characters. Oh, yeah. I, I could, Fear I and can... Loathing in Quentin Tarantino's brain. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I buy that. That totally works. You know, it's, it's so funny. Like, uh, small things in this movie because there's so much pop culture edited and spliced into every single second of it. Uh, it really... I think 
is a a better pairing than we assumed with Bride of Chucky. Like it even has Frankenstein stuff in it. I this. know. Yeah, it's got a road trip. It's got people getting married in the middle of that road trip, whether or not they are their own officiants. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know. They got soul married. They got but soul so married. So did Bride, Bride of Chucky. They got soul married. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, to come back to like your your thing. <laughs> Let's talk about media. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think I, I think the medium? sitcom stuff. Let's talk about medium. <laughs> I think the sitcom stuff really plays into it as well. I think if you just look at it from the perspective of TV has poisoned us, it's the whole movie across the board, and even including the sitcommy stuff. Man, if you haven't seen this movie, this probably sounds really confusing. But essentially, it's the story of two people who are really down on their luck that go on a road trip after 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 killing their parents and killing every and cops and everybody else along the way until they get jailed. Like that's the, that's the <laughs> whole fucking movie. Prison. <laughs> that's the whole movie. Like that's just the arc. It's a it's like true crime splayed out in a real fun way. It's pretty yeah. plotless until they get arrested. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a little meandering and whatnot, but I mean, it's it's their backstory. It's it's whatever. Anyway, so media has poisoned us. TV has poisoned us across the board. The sitcom stuff is interesting because the sitcoms poisoned the brains of Mickey and people like Mickey and Mallory. You watch I Love Lucy and you think this is what a happy family looks like. My family doesn't look anything like it. Mm-hmm. So you you constantly now it's not like it's not like Mallory had just a boring life and she was only sad because she was comparing it to TV. But it was uh, so far from the reality she was expecting that that uh, it, it broke her. You know, even though her dad's a fucking monster. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fucking awful, and it's also weird that it's like Rodney Dangerfield, who's yeah, who's like, I don't know, I trusted him. <laughs> it really works in this movie. It really, really works because he's a super nice guy, and that's kind of like he's he's like the roaster. Like he's he's always been sort of a bit of an insult comic, but he's as self deprecating as he has as he is insulting. Uh, he apparently had a very hard time with this. Wow. And and started to have some incredible regrets about doing it and and was very not happy uh, about the whole situation cuz it's it's fucking sick and twisted and dark and nasty. Yeah, no, it's the darkest stuff of the movie and the the like, laugh track behind it. Yeah, the I love Lucy <laughs> filter over it is almost worse. Yeah, it makes it worse, yeah. Yeah. The juxtaposition is great. I visually and like on an enjoyment level, I'm totally on board oh, with yeah. how it's presented. I just don't know if it makes sense to me. I'm like, why okay. are we? Why are we here? I love. I, I I like your idea of the world being tainted by it, but I guess I'm just because the film ends up being such a, a Mickey and Mallory on like this is their spree, and and we're just following these characters. I guess the the formatting. I just don't understand it in, it in relation to the pair who who are our window into this world. Like, they are our world. I think it's one of those movies that that you have trouble with sometimes, that I know other people have trouble with a lot, where you kind of just have to accept it for what it is. And now, so this is my, my counter thought, is after a while of thinking that, which kind of distracted me from the movie a lot. I was like, why are we going back to black camera? Why are we going back to this yeah. manic camera? Like, when they decided to use a different visual mm-hmm. 
palette. We would go to like black and white, grainy, Wild West footage to bright, chromatic almost where they were hazy and blurry and stuff. And so I was trying to connect the dots as to what each one could have meant. I'm like, okay, is one of these like an id? Is one of these their, their interpretation of the scene versus what really happened? And I have no idea. I have no conclusion. Yeah. So it, inconclusive it, was <laughs> was the results of my test. Again, if you haven't seen the movie, the the way it's presented, it's not like this scene is shot this way and this scene is shot this way. It's that every single scene is shot seven different ways, and they they cut in between them constantly. Mm-hmm. So you you there are but there, way I, too many cuts in this movie. Let's be real. There is no like uh, legend where it's like okay, so we're gonna be black and white. So be the most manic version of yeah, yourself. Any, anytime we're 16 millimeter, it's it's your id. Anytime we're like super tracking shot, that's that's the omnipotent camera. And like anytime we're like really close up, weird cartoony camera angles with this odd fishball lens, that's your super ego. Like we don't <laughs> we don't have that. I don't source. think. Yeah. Like I I was looking for it, and I I found no rhyme or reason to why we were using different cameras. And like there were instances where the 16 millimeter caught some really great close ups and oh, some yeah. really cool shots. And I'm like, what does this mean? Yeah, and sometimes it's slippery because I think sometimes it uh, it does mean like we're seeing it through Mickey's perspective. The diner sequence is great for that. It's it's one of the first things in the movie, and we we only see Mickey. We don't know that Mallory's there with him, and the the waitress is essentially just asking him if he'd like another slice of pie. But while she's asking that, we're cutting to like that skewed sort of you know, grainy footage where she's like really being leery and hitting on him while she's asking. And then the camera shifts and we go into Mallory's perspective, who we've learned is sitting there right beside him. Uh, I love how the camera tilts between the two of them as well. And then, and then you start to see like the guys come in that are probably from, um, Mickey's perspective where this is how he's seeing these guys talking to his woman, you know, that kind of, that kind of shit. Uh, but it's it's it it changes like on a dime. <laughs> like it could mean this, it could mean that. I think you know if you want it to mean their id ego super ego stuff, then it can be that. But I don't I don't think any one camera is any one specific thing. Yeah, and it's just fragmented views of of and every situation. And that's almost why I why I went to the comparison of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because I think there's something disarming and desensitizing about it like yeah. it's it's to get you in this weird chaotic mode and i think you're you're gonna really like this this mm-hmm. idea that i have almost like the short attention span of audiences and like clicking through channels oh shit which is why there's so many different variations of the same scene okay yeah love that and and also too like there's a comment on on how the story is the same, but based on what camera you're looking at, it's an entirely different tone and mood. So, like, for instance, when we see the waitress and she's, like, really heavy hitting on him. And, yeah. And they even touch on dramatizations in this Fuck, yeah, they do. In we go film. into an actual television so show. So I think the different angles might be dramatizations of the overarching story. So it's, like, the dial changes a little bit on all these different cuts because it's almost like media itself influenced each of the individual 100%. cuts. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't Which is like giving it so much more credit than I, I initially had. I was just like, okay. why are we doing this? It's not even just that because they they do so many other genius uh, little tricks to sort of play into what's going on inside their head or how they're seeing things. One of my favorites is when they're in a in a hotel room and 
Mickey is just uh, changing channels on the TV. We don't see the TV. That's a really lovely. Yeah, right. But we see it outside the window and it's changing. But the thing is, it's not it's not just showing stuff that's on television. It's also showing scenes from his childhood. Like we're getting like snippets of things that reveal a bit about his character. We don't know that right away, but we, we learn that slowly. And it's it, it always comes up when Mallory yells at him is is the other thing. Mm. That's when we like usually see the this this. Like weak boy. Yeah, this weak boy. Yeah. What's fun about that scene too is that he's paying way more attention to the television than he should. He's got his wife there with him who's trying to have sex with him. And then he's also got a girl kidnapped and tied up in the corner of the room. Which you don't find out for a while. You don't find out. Yeah, you don't find out for a while. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And and, and eventually you realize that half the time they're, 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 attention is switching between the girl in the corner and the TV that's basically right beside her. Man, it's real good stuff. TV's poisoned us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they they do a lot of a lot of great camera work, a lot of like odd little tricks, reverse projection, just like blue screen stuff, just like editing in wherever they possibly can. And it really I don't know how to describe it. Like I don't want to say like you gotta just like let it wash over you or whatever, but you kind of just have to you can't you don't have enough time to analyze it while you're watching it you got to just go with it and mm-hmm. then and then start a podcast and and, t- and talk about it for an hour with a friend <laughs> and then talk through your feelings <laughs> yeah pretty much one of my favorite moments of the rear projection and there's a lot of it in this movie is when they go to the when they go see the aboriginal el- elder and he takes them in and their like thoughts of them are projected in red writing yeah. on their chests and stuff. I think it actually says too much TV. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. And especially because there's like a language barrier. So there's almost like the first impressions are what is like blasted on their chest. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see like the kind of vibe they give off. And that whole sequence is my favorite because of the like the, the kind of the parable about the demon and and when he's talking about the rattlesnake and and yeah. they're the rattlesnake in the room, it's so fucking good. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and like I mean, I'm not gonna just like should I explain it? I feel like that would just be redundant. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> it, it's also where like we first start to see the warping of the face. Yeah, which sort of like but is he feeds the demon. them yeah. and he clothes them and and he like yeah. gives them warmth and they and he knows they're gonna kill him and like that's why he. He sets up his grandson and whatever because he knows he's about to die and then he dies. Yeah. Ugh. It's good stuff. That warped face shit shows up constantly throughout the movie and it's... It, it's, it's it, <sighs> there are parts of this movie that I think are a little much and the demon stuff is a little much. I bet you also don't know that the specter of death is in this movie. What? Which I gotta say, something that uh, Oliver Stone puts in more movies than you'd think. The specter of death. He's The, the specter of death is even in the Doors movie. <laughs> um, anyway, there is a, I don't know if you remember this, at the very beginning, in the diner, Mallory is walking toward the jukebox, and we are getting sort of like close-up views of people in... Uh, in booths just eating food having coffee and there's one guy who looks scared and looks away and then disappears does that sound familiar to you like he literally like fades away <laughs> no that's the dude who shows up at the end of the movie when they're in jail and he breaks them out he's like come on follow me let's go what yeah he also shows uh, 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 
How much? Right, okay, well, we're, we're just gonna we're just John, gonna we're just gonna continue pulling. What this is thread. happening? Th what's happening is I've seen this movie too many fucking times. There's an alternate ending of the movie. That's why you were so guarded when I was like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> I was like, "He's just uh, another prisoner." And you're just like, "I'm not answering you right now because we're gonna have to pause this fucking movie for an hour and a half." There is an alternate ending. In the end of the movie, they talk about how they're maybe gonna go off and have babies, and then we see them. They're pregnant. They're driving around down the road. They've got kids and shit. They're just uh, they're just a regular American family. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the other version, I think it's the director's cut. They get back in the van uh, after killing Robert Robert Downey Jr. We'll get back to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the dude, there's like a bit of an exchange with that dude who's still with them. He escaped with them out of prison. He shoots Mallory. Uh, Mickey looks at him with like a slight sort of sense of recognition, almost like how the the, the Aboriginal dude was looking at him before he got killed. Uh, and then he shoots him, and then the credits roll. Oh. Like they they die they meet death they 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 fucking let a rattlesnake in big surprise I'm a snake bitch you know mm. it's not great and I'm glad that's not the ending of the movie I don't think it works I think having a a fantastical ending that you know is not real but is the happy TV ending is the absolute right way yeah, to go true and and then that yeah that's just kind of the message like the the pointed message of the film that's the final period on the on the theory about media candy coats and sugar coats and like. In the 90s and in that televised TV crime era, the bad guys kind of won. Oh, yeah. This is kind of the time, too, of, like, the, the OJ trial and stuff. Like, all that stuff was, was televised and, and, like, cops and I, I don't know what other TV shows there were, but, like, crime was hot. Well, yeah, and, like, this is definitely, too, where they, they started um, Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted, America's Most Wanted especially, because that's kind of what we're, that and Geraldo Rivera is, is really what we're riffing on when it comes to Robert Downey Jr.'s character. His, his show, the, uh, American Maniacs. And he's he's getting he's trying to get an exclusive one on one interview with Mickey the day before he's going to be sent off to his mental institution. The two of them are in the same prison for some reason. Yeah. We're never going to understand yeah. why. And, you know, like like that monumental Charles Manson interview is all weird and goofy. That's that's exactly what they're going for with Mickey here. So we've got an entire film crew. He does babble a lot. And I mean, some of the stuff. Is, oh, super babble. <laughs> some of the stuff is really good, uh, but some of it is just like. You're like, I think you I think you're just crazy. I'm like, are we uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Are we on are we on it? It's are like, we on, are we hitting the point or Well, I I think it's interesting too because it's kind of like that I want to say 90s but also 60s psycho babble that in in on one hand makes sense, on the other hand is just a string of words that like you're the cult leadership. Yeah, it's cult leadership. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> You'll never understand why you and me we're not even the same species i used to be you then i evolved from where you're standing you're a man from where i'm standing you're an ape you're not even an ape you're a media person media is like the weather only it's man-made weather murder it's pure you're the one made it impure you're buying and selling the fear you say why i say why bother are you done then let's cut the BS and get real. Why this purity that you feel about killing? Why, for Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me! I guess, Wayne, you just got to hold that old shotgun in your hand and it comes clear like it did for me the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that, Mickey? Shit, man. I'm a natural-born killer. 
The American Maniac show is great. I absolutely love it. I, it's it's awesome that we like dive into it. Like we're in, we see half an episode practically, like yeah. a whole dramatization, and then we go into the editing bay. It really works in this movie because now you like, this goes back into like how it's edited. It's not just like the way those multiple camera angles show up, and and how we edit around the way people talk is is exclusive to Mickey and Mallory. It's literally everybody in the movie, mm-hmm. and I think that's because. Everybody who's got a big speaking role in this movie is an American maniac. Like, every single one of these people is poisoned by America Ooh. in some way. And, like, obviously the entire public is because people should not be in love with mass murderers and serial killers. Like, That's good. Like the Firefly family. Yeah, because uh, Tommy Lee Jones, he's not in the movie a ton of time, but he's, like, the head warden at the prison. Isn't he fucking wild? And he gets the <laughs> evilest edit. He is like, so fucking wild. He becomes the baddest bad guy in the film, and he's just the objective of the prison breakout. Yeah. Also, side note, he is, like, the best, what is he, the Riddler in Batman movies? Two-Face. Two, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he is uh, the best Batman villain in this movie. Yeah, better than he was as a Batman villain in a Batman movie? Yeah. yeah I agree. He's real good. Really. He is great. He's got that weird nose pinch thing, though. Like, he pulls out four snips, and he, like, pinches people's noses with them? That's a weird power move. <laughs> That's his thing? All right. It frees up both of their arms to punch you in the face. <laughs> he does nothing at that point, too. He just, like, he just, like, clamps. Clamps their nose, wraps a string around it so it won't come undone. He's like, take this guy away. You're like, where? <laughs> like, to the four-snip room? <laughs> or whatever they're called. They're probably not four-snips. Yeah, Skagnetti, Chris Penn, right? Chris Penn? Tom Sizemore. <laughs> they're practically the same person. What's happening? <laughs> all of them. They're all American maniacs. And not just because they all kill. Like, Tom Sizemore does murder a person. <laughs> he murders a girl the day that he arrests Mickey and Mallory. He's still got the scratches on his face from where she's like trying to not get strangled to death. I don't know if you noticed that. But everybody is everybody is completely poisoned by television. Huh. And that's that's where that, that's kind of where we're at with the movie. It's it's interesting too, because you're right, like this is also the rise of true crime. It's um and like the the poison by television stuff is is interesting because even even Mickey and Mallory are, you know, like they, it sounds like they both had pretty shitty childhoods. They very early on either experienced like abuse from both of their parents, one of their parents. He definitely saw his dad commit suicide and his mom physically, emotionally abused him. Mallory had it even worse with her Which, dad. Which, like, I just going to side note point here is that the, um, the film's called Natural Born Killers and they talk about natural born killers. Neither of them are natural born killers. They were both, they're all made, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they, uh, their nurture, like parading around as, as nature. That's a great point. <laughs> but is that title about them? Or is that title about us? Our interpretation. Yeah, no, definitely. That I title think is, so. I think, is about all of the kids you see in the movie. Because like, even the people in London who are talking about how cool they are. Natural born killers is, um, that's the editorialized cell of the of the pair of them. Like they were these two evil souls that fate collided, and yeah. and um, they've gone on this explosive run. And that's more alluring than they both had really shitty childhoods, and they murdered their way out of it. And they realized that like, oh, crime will work for a little bit. Yeah, at the very least, it'll it'll make us. We'll be on our own with no rules and no one to tell us what to do or to hold us back. Pretty much everybody that Mallory kills, with the exception of cops, um, are are people that try and have sex with her. 
And like even whether or not she's the one who like is flirting with them first, mm-hmm. it's it's people that come at her sexually, which is exactly who what her dad did, and she couldn't kill him until one day when she did, and it was it was incredibly cathartic for her. And now she just goes around killing everybody, like every dude that comes near. Well, and they do definitely have a moral compass because when Mickey kind of accidentally murders the the Aboriginal leader, mm-hmm. there there's guilt and shame involved. Oh yeah. And they didn't want to kill him because he helped them. He was good to them. He cared for them in maybe kind of a, a familial way, something that the both of them probably needed. Well, he was exercising their demon. He was trying to exercise their demon, hmm. but he couldn't. It was ingrained in them. I hate the. the I hate talking about this movie because <laughs> I. I feel like we're giving it like David Lynch credit, you know, like it's, oh, this means this and this means that. And it's such an indictment on the fucking media landscape and stuff. It's like, <laughs> kind of, but also not really. Like it's really heavy handed. But also it's, it's a Tumblr blog. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh boy, is it a good Tumblr blog? Fuck, is it a good Tumblr There's a blog? lot of dragon imagery. And I'm, I guess I'm assuming that the dragon imagery is being the demon. interchanged with, with, okay, so the dragon is also the demon, but yeah. like, uh, Okay. There, but it's really a dragon because you also use like devil imagery. Yeah, there's a there's a lot in this movie. It's not a it's very much not a perfect film by any means, but I like it a lot. We've we've gotten to the portion that I, I don't enjoy talking about, though, like where it's the the things that are commenting on society and stuff, and like it's it's all there, but. I don't know that Oliver Stone has ever been the right guy to talk to us about like what's wrong with America, and he's always tried to be that person, <laughs> and like. I don't know. <laughs> it's also interesting, too, because Robert Downey Jr.'s character is Australian. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, a wavering Australian. <laughs> sometimes he's Australian. Sometimes he's just Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I really like young Robert Downey Jr. He, there's something erratic about him in, like, <laughs> a, I don't know, in, like, an aloof kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's... Maybe it's drugs. <laughs> It might be, yeah. Like, like I said, I'm pretty sure. He but was... it's youth. Like he's he's got a lot of youth in him. It... Yeah, Woody Harrelson's pretty much been the same for. Woody Harrelson is never <laughs> same as um Juliet, Juliet Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, and I have a I have very conflicting opinions about Juliet Lewis because I um I really like her, but also she's a Scientologist, so like I. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, you know. You Everything mean? ends in uh when Scientology comes up. My only understanding of her is her work and I appreciate her work. That's <laughs> that's how I do it. That's how I do. Yeah. I I almost wish like there were sequences of this movie that I I wish were even weirder and more grandiose. But like that's the interesting part. It's like Oh, Mickey- like the snake talks to them after they get bit. Yeah, or even just like, like somebody puppets the snake, and then the snake's like in the back of the convertible. Well, so there, okay, maybe maybe my I wish there were more scenes like him escaping prison because that's like a tall tale. It's like a legend. He oh he fucking broke out of prison on a horse and and rode a tornado to Mallory's house. <laughs> you know, like that's I wish that's kind of what it was like during their shootout or during during the prison escape. And I think it's not the like prison that. escape almost feels like an entirely different movie. The whole prison seek like section is mm-hmm. like the, the the whole third act is a different movie altogether. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I think we should wrap it up. I I agree. But I have I have one more fun fact oh. or one little story to leave us on. So there's a whole bunch of Coca Cola ads in this. Yes. And they're real Coca Cola ads. You actually see Coca Cola. There's oh, yeah. the iconic polar bear of the Coca Cola ads from the '90s. I don't know if they're still in Coca-Cola ads because I don't watch commercials anymore. Hmm. But, you know, Coca-Cola, bears, Santa also for some reason. <laughs> um, 
Coca-Cola gave them permission wow. to use these ads, but I guess they did not tell them what the movie was. They probably just in, changed the title. In the slightest. It's probably called Mickey and Mallory. Like, well, we're putting a movie it's together. It's a love with... story, a road trip. Yep, yep that's what uh, you do. It's about media. <laughs> that's what we did when the cops showed up and we were filming our short. I was There's... like, hey, we're filming a love story, <laughs> which is not entirely wrong, <laughs> but I did not say it was a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Coca-Cola was pretty fucking pissed i bet <laughs> was it was this movie made for television like i i, I commercial breaks would have made this better i love the not I, even actual commercial breaks like i don't care if they had faux commercials but even just fading to black and fading back in would have been fantastic there's there's something to be said about cutting to a coca-cola commercial though and if you're watching this on television fuck even just watching it at home you you gotta understand like you gotta give credit to the fact that when you know that oh that's the that's the commercial break and then we go to a commercial your brain changes mm-hmm. like you can feel yourself slip into a different gear and that's really interesting because you're you know you're watching a movie you are maybe watching it in a movie theater honestly that's why I think that we switch between the different um the different visual styles it's like channel surfing except the content stays the same and it's almost mm. like. Because this is the hot story, this is the story it's of the moment. It's on every channel? It's on every channel. Oh, boy. You guys got to look up this movie called Triple Fisher if you haven't heard of it. It's the Amy Fisher oh, story. Oh, it's so good. And three <laughs> TV movies came out within 48 hours de- like from different networks detailing the Amy Fisher story. Yeah. One of them has Drew Barrymore. Yep. One of them has, oh, uh, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. And then I can't remember the Denise third. Richards? Is that the last no, one? No, no, no. Okay. No, no. I would know if it was Denise Richards. <laughs> same idea. It's it's three perspectives of the same story, and the, the director of that movie edits. The director of Triple Fisher has edited the three of them together into one semi-coherent film, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's brilliant. Okay, John, what is your rating of Natural Born Killers? Also, I want to know your rating the first time you watched it as like a 12-year-old. First time I watched it as a 12-year-old. You're like, four out of four! <laughs> Probably four out of four. I think I was maybe even younger than 12. But oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, uh, uh, it's maybe like a 3.75. It's like, I'm going to give it a 3.5. And I th- Wow. Yeah, I, I really like this. What did you expect it for? No. I, I really, really like this movie. I also think that it's been the perfect amount of time between when I last watched it and when we watched it last night. Oh, man. Like, I was fucking loving it last night. But it's the time capsuliness of it that's, like, very 90s and, like, maybe a little heavy-handed with what it's trying to say is is kind of what holds me back from loving it. And the ending still feels a little weird. <laughs> it's 3.5 out of 4. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of four. <laughs> uh, and I thought we were on the same page with that. No, I really like this movie. Uh, Warts and all. And it's got them. It's got them. Wow. I really went into this knowing nothing about you and your relationship. And to... you still don't. You still know, you know even less now than you did 30 minutes ago. Let's uh, handshake and get off the air. <laughs> But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of our killer couples, Chucky and Tiffany and Mickey and Mallory, over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast. Uh, on Discord, which you can find at nofspodcast.com slash Discord if you're not in there already. We're on pretty well every social media platform, so just search for Nightmare on Film Street. I am sure you'll find us. If you're a fan of the show, uh, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or follow us if you are on Spotify. And if you can leave us a five-star rating and review, it really helps us get in front of more horror fans. And uh, if you want to join the Fiend Club, it's our 
little extra bonus club where we do fun live streams and watch parties and there's swag and merch and all kinds of fun stuff there that is at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club it's a couple bucks a month and you get instant access to all that fun stuff and you get to hang out with us we watch tons of fun movies and cartoons and and halloween stuff it's such a blast but until next time i'm john i'm kim Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.